Good morning, church. As we're making our way to our seats, I'll go ahead and start announcements. Uh, my name is Neil Payne, and I'm a deacon here at Cross Point Fellowship. First of all, we're so excited you guys are here. We're extremely excited whether you're here in the seats or whether you're joining us online. Uh, we're genuinely excited that you're here. Psalm 133.1 says, uh, um, what is Psalm 130? Hey, some, read what Psalm 131. It says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Maybe I should know my Bible a little bit better, but that's all right. Uh, but one thing we have to remember is how good and pleasant it is when we are dwelling here in unity. This is something that we started so long ago. We started, obviously, at least 2,000 years ago, uh, and we're here today. So it's an ancient work. Uh, it's a beautiful work. If you're visiting with us today, uh, a couple ways you can connect. We have visitor's cards in the back of the chair in front of you. You can drop those off in the box whenever you leave. Uh, and I promise we won't inundate you with all kinds of stuff. We're not going to sell you to the Toyota of Rockwall dealership or anything like that. We just want to connect with you. You can also come up and talk to me after the service or talk to your neighbors uh, after the service as well just to find out a little bit about us. Uh, a couple of ways you can give if you're a member. Um, we have a giving website, or we have a, a link on the website that's uh, set up for giving. You can also drop your offering in the basket as you exit. Uh, Wednesdays, we meet up here for youth at 6 o'clock from 6 to 7, and then young adult from 7.15 till normally about 8.30. Uh, we all wear masks, we social distance. If you are a youth, please come to youth. If you're a young adult, Please come to Young Adult. We genuinely have a good time. Um, so, if you might have noticed, we have families in the service with us today. Not just families, but little kids in the service today. Um, we understand that kids can get rambunctious. We're totally in for that. Don't feel like you're going to be annoying if your kid starts crying or anything like that. We, we love you. We're glad you're here. But, if it is bothering you, we have some options. It is a beautiful day outside. Uh, we have the playground out there. You guys can always go out there, and we have the sermon set up out there. We also have the children's building unlocked, um, and we have a nursery attendant in there. Uh, we ask that you go with your kids and be with your kids in there. Uh, we have a masked section and an unmasked section, um, so that is available to use whenever you guys want. Um, if you are a young adult, the Yam Retreat is coming soon, November 6th and 7th. The cost is $60. It's going to be a really, 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 really good time. If you're a young adult, please come. Don't let $60 hinder you from coming. Uh, if that's an issue, come, come talk to me. We'll get that figured out. Uh, Youth Camp 2021, sign up today. Uh, I was supposed to yell today because it's in all caps, but if you are planning on going to Youth Camp, sign up today. It'll be a good time. If you have any questions whatsoever, ask Tracy Fields. She'll get that sorted out. Also, today, 4 p.m. up here, if you are an elder, a deacon, a life group shepherd, or on staff, we'll be going through the Vine Project. Uh, we're going to be meeting every first Sunday of the month, which would be today, up here, 4 p.m. Won't want to miss it. Lastly, uh, if, you're, if you're visiting with us also online, uh, there's a super easy way that you can connect with us also, and that's to text this number. Man, I love technology. This is a phenomenal day and time. Uh, and then lastly, this month we are focusing on missions. Uh, missions is our prayer focus. 
Um, Every month we pick a different thing to pray for. This month is missions. Uh, It's near and dear to all of our hearts. Uh, You know, almost every year we send a group of youth somewhere on mission. So um, we're specifically praying to be on mission while we're here. We're specifically praying to be on mission with our neighbors, to connect with our neighbors, to connect with our friends, um, as well as let's pray for foreign folks. Let's pray for uh, people to be mobilized to go to the four corners of the earth and be with our brothers and sisters over there, as well as make disciples over there. So if you all pray with me, we'll get this party started. Father God, uh, you're just so good. Uh, you are so, so good, and we're just thankful to be here, God. Uh, we'll, we're thankful that we know that you're here with us, God, and we're thankful to know that, that this is your design, um, that, that your design is to equip us um, to carry out your good works, God, to carry out your good works here in Greenville, Texas, um, here in Hunt County, here in the, the Texas area, um, on to the U.S., God, and even further to wherever you call us, God. Um, we just pray that you stir folks' hearts uh, to be able to move, God, uh, to be able to move in going somewhere or to be a part of the work of mobilizing others to go places, God. Um, and those places might be our own blocks. Um, so, God, we just praise you for uh, allowing us to be a part of your good and beautiful work. Um, God, we love you. We love you. We love you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to continue in prayer. We're glad you're here. I'm um, thankful for folks that are visiting with us. Um, We are always glad to have folks uh, spend some time with us um, in person. I think there's some, uh, some things that we really, if, if you visit a few times, you'll hear this. We, uh, I feel like I'm going to be really loud, like there's going to be some feedback, because I plan on shouting later, and it's going to be too much. Not really. I might, but I might not. Probably won't. Um, we're not the only church in town. We're not the best church in town. I mean, we make a point to say that. I think there are a lot of churches in our community, and we can be thankful for that. We live in a community. There are a lot of options for folks. And each church has a little different personality, and each church can be um, embracing the truth about Christ and preaching the truth about Christ and do that in a little bit different way, and we can celebrate that. So that's one of the things that uh, I hope you hear from us this morning. If this is your one visit with us, that we are cheering for you, and we are cheering for the local church, and we're hoping and praying that maybe this installment this morning will be an encouragement to you to find a church home and land there to be part of a people, to know and be known, to be a mean, have a meaningful connection with a local church. That, that matters, and that's really important to us. And that's more important to us than you end up landing with us. I want you to hear that. I mean, of course we love to have folks be part of us. But it's more important to us that you land and that you are a meaningful part of a local church than you're part of this one. Okay, there's some great church in our community. So thank you for, for giving us your time this morning. We hope that this time is a blessing to you. We hope that those who are joining us online, that you're blessed in how we spend these next few minutes. So I want to continue our time in prayer. Uh, we're praying for a local church in that note and in that vein. Jimmy Vaughn is the pastor at Authentic Life Fellowship. We're also praying for a people group, the Madigo people of India, 7.7 million strong, 0.12% of which are Christian. Uh, these, it's a strange... 
uh, description. The, the Joshua Project uh, sort of shares the story on the people group. If you ever like to pull them up, uh, you can just Google Joshua Project least reach people groups. And uh, these people, the 7.7 million strong, uh, I guess their thing is making shoes. That's strange that there would be that, like a whole cast of people that they're just, they're shoemakers, you know, cobblers, I guess. So that's, uh, that's a lot of shoes and a lot of people making shoes. So uh, let's pray for them and pray that the Lord would, um, would draw them and uh, plant churches among them and do a great work among them. And let's pray for how we spend these few minutes. Lord, we are thankful for our time together this morning. Just uh, so, so value these Sunday mornings where we get to uh, just sort, sort of tune out all the distractions of the world to just sit at your feet for a little bit, to enjoy truths that are timeless from a word that is living and active and uh, fresh and relevant. Lord, we're thankful that it's, it's a, in many ways a miraculous time and we need it so desperately. I'm thankful that we get to fellowship with brothers and sisters. We get to enjoy the supper together. We get to sing true things back to you about you. This is really a cherished time, Lord, and we just pray that you would bless it uh, that you would be great in these few, few minutes, that you would equip the saints, uh, that we would see uh, you, that we would enjoy you, that we would know you, uh, and that it would reflect in how we move between our gatherings. Uh, Lord, also this morning, we want to pray for another local church. Uh, we are cheering for Authentic Life Fellowship, Lord. We're asking that you would do wonderful things in and through Authentic Life Fellowship Church. Lord, we are thankful for Jimmy Vaughn and this long just faithful ministry that he's had to so many folks in this community over the years. He has his hands in so many great ministries. And Lord, we pray that you would fuel him with worship, sustain him with worship, give him an endurance that can only come from you. Lord, we pray that as he puts his hand to uh, ministry efforts that you would be um, exponentially enjoyed and that that kingdom advancement would be uh, glorifying to you, Lord. We entrust Jimmy to you. We entrust Authentic Life Fellowship to you. And we are thankful for the chance to lift up our brothers and sisters this morning. Lord, also this morning, we want to lift up the Medigo people of India, a Hindu people 7.7 million strong, most of which who do not know you. And we ask you to draw them to you, Lord, to send workers to the far corners of the field, uh, Lord, to connect dots uh, with people that may be having uh, uh, visions or looking for answers or searching for meaning and identity and purpose and have not found it in the Hindu faith, Lord. We just pray that you would connect dots with the scent and the searching and uh, entrusting this people to you. Uh, Lord, we are um, thankful for these few minutes again that we have this morning. We are entrusting this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all can stand for the reading of God's word. This passage is maybe one of the most quoted and misunderstood verses in our Bible. We have an important time in these next few minutes to bring real meaning to an often misunderstood passage. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Lord, speak to us from these words. Lord, 
I pray that we'll take our time making sense of what Jesus said to uh, uh, his followers 2,000 years ago that through the Holy Spirit he's saying to us today. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Noah, you can put up those, that first slide for me. I just did a, a good, good old Google search and captured some uh, slides that I thought sort of represented maybe the uh, common thoughts. Actually, let, let's go with the, the, flip the order, go with the other one first. I want to save that one for last. That was my favorite. You, that's okay. The, the one I want to start with, um, yeah, that's good. That's fine. Don't judge someone just because they sin differently than you. Each of these have kind of a different flavor. They're kind of a different message. They're kind of holding on to a different defense. In this case, it's sort of the uh, everyone's a sinner defense. Okay, I'm a sinner, you're a a sinner, everyone's a sinner, so just stay out of my business defense. Okay, what's that next one, Noah? Okay, Noah. Yeah, I like this one because it incorporates a little girl, and you can't argue with a little girl sticking her finger in your face. Before you judge me, make sure that you are perfect. Okay, before you judge me, make sure that you are perfect. Let me see if I can find the notes that I had with this one. Oh, I think that this is a really nice take on um, the um, he who is without sin cast the first stone sort of defense. Okay, right? I mean, we can just say, all right, well, um, you're a sinner, so, uh, and you're not perfect, so you just stay out of my business. But this assumes that judgment equals a stoning. Okay, can we at least acknowledge that? This assumes that judgment equals a stoning. Okay, let's go with the next one. Noah, only God can judge me. You're not God, so stop acting like him. That's a pretty good defense. Pretty good defense. Okay, what's the next one? No one likes feeling judged. Back off and let people live. We're all on some type of journey and evolving and growing. Uh, This one, I think, uh, is uh, let people live. This sort of assumes that judgment gets in the way of my living. Your judgment is an obstacle to my real living, and I don't like that. We're all on some type of journey and evolving and growing. You're just seeing a snapshot of the video called My Life, so you have no space to speak into that. That's sort of the you're the uninformed judge defense. Okay, what's the next one, Noah? Yeah, do not judge my story by the chapter you walked in on. This is, again, another snapshot defense that you're an uninformed judge. You don't know the whole story, so you have no space to speak in at this point. And then go ahead and put my favorite one up there. Have you ever met a hater doing better than you? Me neither. Right? Isn't that good? It equates judgment with hating. I mean, judgment is hating folks, right? These really, I think, uh, we may come back to these later on in the morning as we have occasion, but they sort of um, set the stage... I think, for this reality, this conversation about judgment uh, is a sticky one. Okay, these slides are especially satisfying, aren't they? I mean, even for a room full of folks that are Christians, we're saying, all right, let's acknowledge those, something satisfying about those slides. Because you can say, first of all, stay out of my business. I'm not giving you access. And then on the other hand, if you feel like you need to speak into someone else because you care about them, you don't have to, because remember, judgment is hating. 
Okay, you're effectively throwing stones, and you don't want to do that with people that you love and care about. So it's satisfying, it's freeing. These sorts of truths or thoughts, and I use truths with quotation marks, are liberating. We're protected from, scrutinize, from the scrutinizing eyes of others, and we're freed from any responsibility to speak into other people's lives. Man, what's not to like? I mean, can we really be honest here for a moment and say, what's not to like? I kind of like all of the above. You get dirty when you speak into other people's stuff. You're going to get injured, okay? And you're probably going to hurt if someone speaks into yours. So if somebody is presenting some ideas where we don't have to do those things, man, I like the sound of it. The problem is, in the rest of our Bible, we have things that show us things that, that don't quite sound like that. Okay, even just down a few verses, we have this thought. Look down at chapter 7, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Wait a second. That sounds like some kind of judgment to discern who's a dog and who's a pig. It sounds like you have to use some sort of judging measure to determine what's holy and what's a pearl and what's a dog and what's a pig. Okay, so maybe those slides aren't true. Maybe that treatment of that often misused passage, judge not that, that you not be judged, is inaccurate. Maybe there's some other things going on, even here in our Bible, that can bring some shape to this. Look down to, uh, at chapter uh, 7, verse 15. Here's another little window into something that looks a lot like judgment. Chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is a passage talking about people. I mean, can, can we acknowledge that we're talking about people? Wolves. They're identified, some of them. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves with false teachings, with bad fruit. They're likened to trees that either bear good fruit or bad fruit. There's some sort of judgment going on in making sense of that. Can we acknowledge that? Thankfully, we're not just left with those slides up there. We would have no place to go. But we've got some windows and some other stuff that's going on that looks a lot like judgment. I'll just give you one more little glimpse. Look over a couple chapters later to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus has sent out the disciples on a mission journey. And there's a little section here that begins in verse 5, but I'm going to begin in verse 11. He's given some instructions to them. He says, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it if the house is worthy. Let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. That sounds like some kind of judgment is taking place. To discern the worthy home and the worthy town that's receiving the message that they're bringing. And then the unworthy, 
where you're shaking the dust off your feet as you leave. That sounds like, looks like judgment. Can we agree, everybody in this room right now, right now, we need some help with this. We've got this message, this loud message that we can just Google. Okay, these slides. Uh, judgment's equated with stoning. It gets in the way of my living. You're just a snapshot. You're getting a snapshot. You don't have a video. You don't have a space to speak into this. That's the message that we can just Google just easily. Actually, I Googled Don't Judge Me, and there was a, a, a song from 2012, Chris. Uh, I can't remember his last name, but the title is Don't Judge Me, and the lyrics are pretty funny. They're pretty hilarious. You need to look them up. Of course, you don't know who. Just look up Chris and Don't Judge Me, and you'll find it. And they're easy to find the, Google's version of Don't Judge Me. And then we've got these little snapshots into the stuff that looks like judgment. We need some help with this right now, <laughs> right? So we're in a good space to sit at the feet of our Lord and to try and make sense of this. I thought I would add this passage before we really unpack uh, these verses uh, that I read this morning. I'll just share one more passage that also is another little snapshot of judgment, but it adds some import to the time we're spending together. It's in chapter 7, verse 24. Listen to this. Everyone, who, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. This could be, this could be really well-spent time, right? We could be building our houses on rock by the time that we spend here. The rain falls and the floods come and the winds blow and they beat on the house, but it does not fall because it's been founded on the rock. That's time well spent. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. That in and of itself is another little window into judgment. The wise versus the foolish but it's also an encouragement that we're spending good, reasonable, wise time here in these next few minutes trying to make sense of this passage. And then hopefully, as God works it out in us, we walk it out. We walk it out. Okay, so here's the plan for the morning. We're going to first deal with the structure, and I'll just tell you what the structure is. There's a prohibition in verse 1. There's an explanation that goes from verse 2 to the verse little part of verse 5 and then there's an application in verse 5 okay so if you need sort of a an outline for the morning the prohibition is in verse 1 we're going to deal with that in a moment the explanation goes verse 2 all the way through the very first part of verse 5 and then there's an application in the rest of verse 5 so let's first deal with the prohibition in verse 1 judge not that you not be judged this word judge is the greek word there is krino Okay, that word judge has a very broad meaning to include evaluate, discern, separate, decide, and condemn. That is a broad swath. That's a broad space of possibilities all within that one Greek word, Crino, there's lots going on in there. And all that space in there allows for the kind of situations where you might have to make a decision between what is a dog and a swine and what is holy and a pearl. There's space within that definition where you might actually have to discern between false prophets and wolves 
and trees bearing bad fruit and trees bearing good fruit. There's space within where we can discern the difference between thorn bushes and thistles, healthy and diseased trees, wise men and foolish men, a worthy town and a worthy home and an unworthy town and an unworthy home. We have some space within that one word dealing with all these circumstances that all involve people and all involve some measure of evaluation. All of those involve some measure of discernment, separation, deciding, and even in some cases, some measure of condemnation. We might actually be dealing with some measure of condemnation, at least of actions and possibly a message in the case of false prophets. That broad definition is a place for us to move. But we've got this thing that's saying, do not or judge not that you not be judged. What in the world are we supposed to do with that? All these other windows into places where it looks like he's doing that very thing. That broad definition might be a clue. Let's look at the explanation beginning in verse 2. The explanation is really going to crack this thing open for us. Verse 2 says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Okay, let me just establish this first off, if I can. I define this word, we define this word from the Greek in a sense that looks like stuff that we have to do. Yet we have what sounds like a commandment not to do it. So we have to figure out, are we not supposed to do this thing that you're saying that showing other places we're supposed to do? Is it a matter, matter of whether we're doing it or not? Or a matter of how we're doing it? Is this a matter of how we're going about it? And the explanation is how that's going to, bring out, how that, how that's going to come out. Okay, and this explanation begins in verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Here's another translation from the New American Standard. This brings out what's actually being sort of developed there. Listen. For in the way you judge you will be judged. Okay, you hear the difference there? We're not just talking about whether you're doing it or not. We're talking about how you're doing it. That seems to be the issue. For in the way you judged, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Okay, let's just first of all just sit on that for a moment. Now, let me kind of acquaint you, too, with this little, the end of that last little verse there, that, that last phrase, it will be measured to you. There's an implied measurer, and it's not your buddies and your friends and your neighbors are the one you're judging, although that could happen. What that's speaking of there, who that's speaking of there, is God. Okay, so I'm going to read the verse again with God plugged in there, so at least for a moment we can quake just for a minute together. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you by God. That's the implied measure in there. Capital M, measure. In the way and the standard of measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's a divine passive. We're speaking of the kind of judgment and the kind of measure that you extend to others is the very kind that will be extended to you by God. Man, there's a poetic justice in that that we have to enjoy. We have a God that is not a chump. Y'all know that? I think we have to know that. We have a God that's very, very 
fitting in the way he responds to how we treat other people. I was thinking of some of the examples where God is just beautifully fitting. Uh, Samson, you know, one of Samson's big problems was looking at the ladies. You remember what happened at the end of his life? He had his eyes gouged out. Another example of just a really poetic outcome is uh, Absalom. Does anybody remember who Absalom was? One of, the, one of the sons of David. You remember what was noteworthy about Absalom? He had a luscious head of hair. You know what happened to Absalom? He's out riding his mule. I think he was running from Joab. He's riding his mule. He goes under an oak tree, and his hair got caught in a tree. And his mule kept riding. And he's hanging by his quaff there, his luscious hair. And he's hanging there long enough for Joab to have a conversation with him. And then eventually Joab stabs him with, stabs him with his javelin. Something poetic about this guy, right? He loves his hair so much and it was actually his undoing. The story of Esther and Mordecai. Isn't that a satisfying one? Haman, you remember Haman that builds the gallows for Mordecai? I'm going to get that guy. I'm going to get him yet. We're going to hang him. And who ended up being hung on those gallows? Haman. Man, I love that God's not a chump. I love, or do I? Or do I? There are other places where he gives us a little window into how you treat others is going to be the outcome for how I treat you. He said it in this Sermon on the Mount already in chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, where he's explaining the prayer of forgiving others. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses, because God's not a chump. We have to love that about God, but it should make all of us pretty sober right here in these next few minutes. Man, there's an evenness that should be sobering. We have a God who sees. Do you realize that? He said it three times over in these passages that we've considered these last few weeks. You don't have to make a big deal out of giving to the poor because God sees. You don't have to make a big deal out of praying publicly because you have a God who hears and sees. You don't have to make a big deal out of fasting and scrunch your face all up because you have a God who sees. And that same God who sees is not a chump. The kind of judgment and the standard of measure that you extend to others is the very kind and measure that you will receive. Man, let's let that hit us for a minute. I'm, I, like, I'm, feel I have a little damp sweat kind of breaking out. I sweat when I'm preaching anyway. Y'all know that. But I'm talking like a sweat just at that notion. Because I know I'm not the only judge in this room. I know I'm not the only judge in this room. Let's let that hit us for a minute. Okay, so we have to understand the kind of judgment we're talking about. Okay, we've already acknowledged that there's this big, broad definition. And a lot of these things that we're actually supposed to be doing. So we're not talking about whether or not we're, talking, uh, whether or not we're doing it. We're talking about how we're going about it. So let's just consider in these next few minutes this explanation in verses 3 through the beginning of verse 5. We're dealing with the kind of judgment that is condemned. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and then there's this big log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Okay, we're going to deal with the kind of judgment 
that is condemned. The hypocrite in the Sermon on the Mount so far has been the one that's wanted to make a big deal out of giving to the poor, want to make a big deal out of their prayers. Look how pious I am. Look how awesome I am. Praying on the street corners, maybe a, a, you know, some public version of that today. Look at me praying. Um, the hypocrite is the one who's more to make a big deal out of fasting. Look how pious I am. I'm so hungry. You know, making a, a you know, scrunching their face up, looking like they're all hungry. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to look hungry. <laughs> I don't visit there very often. Okay, that's the hypocrite so far in the Sermon on the Mount. But now he introduces a new little fold to the definition of the hypocrite. He introduces it with a pretty comical little illustration. And you think about Jesus growing up as a carpenter's son. You can imagine these two carpenters, woodworkers in the same little carpentry um, barn. I don't know what you'd call it. Shed, space. And this comical scene in the carpenter's shop with one guy with a wee sliver, a little tiny little wood sliver in his eye, and the other with a big old log in his eye. And the guy with the log is trying to take the wee sliver out of the eye with the guy with the, that just has the sliver. Man, there's something comical about that. I was like thinking about trying to kind of personalize. I don't work with wood. I'm not a big woodworker guy, but uh, it's not uncommon for Christy and I to go out to eat. And Christy, at you know, some point at the end of the meal, we eat a lot of salad. You shaking, you shaking her head because I'm gonna tell the story. It's not a big story. It's not like some event happens. It's just this happens often. When we go out to eat, one of us is eating a salad, and it's gonna get stuck in Christy's teeth. I mean, it's just gonna happen. It probably gets stuck in my teeth, but you can never see my teeth, so nobody ever knows it. I have a tiny little mouth, you know. Yeah, you never know that before. You're like, his mouth is tiny. But she gets lettuce stuck in her teeth. You know, it would be like somebody that has a little bitty tiny piece uh, of, of lettuce stuck in their teeth and the person who has like a whole garden growing out of their face said, hey man, you got a little piece of your lettuce stuck in your teeth? It's kind of the pot calling the kettle black thing. I thought about that. It'd be like the, uh, the whole kitchen calling the kettle black. It'd be like Williams and Sonoma calling the kettle black. Y'all are pretty impressed that I see some of the ladies going, I can't believe he knows. That's a kitchen place. I know that. It'd be like that whole store calling a kettle black. It's imbalanced, right? That's the first thing. It's imbalanced. There's an imbalance that's going on there. It's a person with glaring sin issues focusing on an obscure we sin in another. Glaring sin issues focusing on a we sin in another it's imbalanced and also a bigger problem is the judge himself is unsearched that's hypocritical judgment it's imbalanced and the judge himself is unsearched salad face himself has not looked in the mirror right brady do you think that was funny salad face it is kind of funny salad face himself hasn't looked in the mirror Log face is clunking around the carpenter shop, chasing down his buddy with a wee sliver, and you're going to guarantee some stuff's going to get broken in the process, right? Add to that, on top of that, Eric, right? We're dealing with a very delicate organ, the eye. We're talking about something that should involve probably some sort of surgical steps, or at least some forceps, or something that's very carefully going to remove the sliver and instead we've got this big clumsy moment with this log and salad face busting about this type of procedure takes 
great care, great patience, and great gentleness. It's not to be done with the hands of one blinded by his or her own sin. Hypocritical judgment is imbalanced and it's unsurged. I was thinking about this. I think that we come by unfair and imbalanced judgment pretty readily and pretty honestly. I was thinking about the response of the, just the initial fall with Adam and Eve. You can just listen to this. It'll be a familiar passage. In Genesis chapter 3, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. I think we come by unfair and imbalanced judgment readily from the very beginning we are quick to identify sin and blame in others and we have an inability to see it in ourselves this gets at a real honest human problem doesn't it we have an inability to see it in ourselves we are great at seeing shortcomings in others and we are especially gracious with ourselves aren't we can we really be honest about that We're great, expert, in fact, at seeing shortcomings in others and super gracious with ourselves. I guess that's therapy. Maybe it's a way to cope. Maybe it just makes us feel better. Like these slides, some version of therapy, maybe it just helps us deal with our own stuff. And we have been like this since the very beginning. But Jesus teaches his followers that we don't move this way. That's hypocritical judgment. We do not judge imbalanced and unsurged. We do not judge others by a different standard than we judge ourselves. And we don't judge others unsurged ourselves. I, uh, preparing for this sermon, was, did a lot of reading this week on various topics, and I found a book. It was interesting, a, a book that was written by a pastor of a church it's called the Journey Church in um, Conifer, Colorado. This pastor, his name was Michael Cheshire. He wrote a book called Why We Eat Our Own. The book he... Um, I guess it came out of a desire, being Colorado, he, he had a front row seat to something that happened there in, in Colorado Springs, a guy named Ted Haggard, pastor of a large church in Colorado Springs, who was very outspoken about the definition of marriage, uh, very outspoken about, about his views against homosexuality, turned out to have a relationship with his male uh, masseuse while that's going on. He was also receiving drugs, methamphetamines, or something from that same masseuse while this is all going on. It was so unthinkable. James Dobson came to his defense. I mean, it was a big deal. I can't remember how many years ago this was. But this guy, Michael Cheshire, who was, you know, right next door, 
I don't know where Conifer is geographically, but it's close enough to where I guess he was um, sort of near this event as it unfolded. He considered that the people that he ran with, the people in his church, how they spoke of Ted Haggard with disdain. What a despicable man. You know, that sort of tone. What a, what a, what a vile creature. And he felt burdened that he needed to reach out to Ted Haggard. And the story, the book was written from his effort to connect with Ted Haggard and walk with him through the aftermath of his sin being exposed and his repentance. And he wrote this book called We Eat Our Own. And that phrase actually came from someone that he was friends with who was not a Christian that said, I don't want to be a Christian because of what Christians do to one another when one of them sins. And he was speaking about what happened in the Ted Haggard incident. So he wrote this book, We Eat Our Own. Just a little excerpt in the book. He said, All too often, Christians who are sinners themselves become judge, jury, and jailer over others. Cheshire explores some unsavory questions. Why does the world often do a better job forgiving their fallen than the church? I couldn't help but think about the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector. It might be familiar to you. You might jot this down. It's in Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Those go together. You know that, right? People that see themselves as righteous and know them of themselves treat others with contempt. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you I'm not like that guy. I'm not like Ted Haggard. I'm glad I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, man, I like this guy. Don't you? I like this guy. Standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'll tell you, this man went away to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Man, I like that guy. I haven't read the book, but I can confess to you, when that whole thing went down with Ted Haggard, I had my own personal thoughts. What a smear. What a smear on the Christian name. A little diagnostic for you, maybe if you're like me and you can see yourself in the seat of judge, condemning judge at times. Just consider this question, what do you do with the public center? Someone caught in sin, someone who confesses sin openly, do you look on them with disdain? Are they damaged goods? Cooties? 
You got to keep your distance from them. You might catch it. Do you say to yourself, at least I'm not like that guy? Are you repelled by them? If so, then maybe you've judged hypocritically. I want to ask the parents in this room. You know we can do this with our kids, right? You know the things that you see in your kids that make you so mad and you feel like you're just about to completely lose your mind. You know where they learned those things, right? You know where they learned them. They came by them honestly. But man, we can be judge, jury, condemning right in our own home with our own children. Man. Just throw this thought out here, maybe, so we can kind of even and level this room. If it's not leveled already, Jesus has already dealt with the inward and hidden thoughts on anger and lust earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. And that he dealt with the reality that even the hidden thoughts are sinful in regards to anger and lust, those murderous thoughts, those lustful thoughts. So I wonder if there's anybody in this room that's older than, uh, I guess, uh, puberty. We don't even have to deal with that. We deal with anger. Is there anybody in this room who could survive their inner thoughts being put up on a screen this morning, right now? The thoughts that we've had this week or even today. I ask you to consider this question. Is church a safe place to confess sin? Is church a haven for sinners? It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. There's a church near my parents' house in Pineville, Louisiana. Uh, I thought the name of the church was I Mess Up, We All Mess Up Church. It turns out the name is actually Journey Church. But the signs everywhere on the building, in the parking lot are I mess up, we all mess up. The boards that are around town, like that's their shtick. I was so uncomfortable with that. Like it bothered me. It really bothered me. I'm, I, I'm, I'm just really being honest about that. I had this feeling it seemed undignified. Shouldn't the church have a better message? We're holding forth Christ. It seemed uh, unrefined, tacky. Isn't that? It seemed we. I mess up with what church you go to. I mess up. We all mess up. Church. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on. You know what's funny is they they can't they, they have multiple services. They can't find a place to park everybody. They have satellite campuses all over Alexander Pineville. Because apparently a lot of people mess up. A lot of people were comforted by the place. Oh, this is a haven for sinners? Oh, yes, please. Where can I park? What time do I be there? What time should I be there? Can I serve? I, I had to deal with my own heart as I'm driving by this place, like disliking that sign and that name. 
or that shtick. It's tacky. But man, is this tacky, undignified, and unrefined, tasteless, or is it a haven for sinners? People of God, the church should be. It should be a haven for sinners. Now, we're not done with the passage. Left right there, if we just called it a day and said, all right, let's go watch the game. Isn't there a big game today? Big match? A big bout? <laughs> I don't even know who's playing. That's pretty funny. We could leave right now, and we would totally leave short of what we're actually supposed to do. We would just have a sense of what we're not supposed to do. I mean, that's helpful, right? But he actually, in the rest of verse 5, gives us the rest of actually how we're supposed to move. Okay, the hypocritical judge is the one that's judging out of order and judging in a way that's um, unsearched. But let's, let's look at the rest of verse 5 and figure out where we're supposed to walk out here today, how we're supposed to walk out. What are we supposed to do in a way that's God-honoring and Christ-following? The rest of verse 5 says, First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's prescription and application in here. Instead of unbalanced or imbalanced and unsearched judgment, first, take the log out of your own eye. First, take the log out of your own eye. Let me just give you a few thoughts on that. You're going to need some help with a log. Okay, you're going to need some help with that. You're not going to be able to do that by yourself, A. B, the fact that you have a log sticking out of your eye means that you're blind. You're blind to your own log sticking out of your eye. You're going to have to invite some people into your life to say, hey, can you help me with this and can you search me? I probably have some things I don't even see. There's probably everybody in this room has some measure of this in us. These things, these blindnesses to our own sin. We need to invite one another in to help us remove these logs. Get ready with that notion, though. It's going to be painful. It's going to be humbling. There's probably going to be some version of a death involved in there. I don't mean a physical death, but it, uh, ah, this is really hard. There's a Ben is dying in this venture. But the beauty is there's a little resurrection on the other side of it. So I'm encouraging you to invite in something that's going to be painful. But it'll be a blessing on the other side of it. Take the log out first. And secondly, then remove the speck in another. After your eye surgery, specks are still removed. Man, we're a haven for sinners, absolutely. But we're also not a group of people that are just going to say, Ah, whatever. Just continue on in unrepentant sin. You know you can actually be both a haven for sinners that says, hey, let me help you with this. Can you help me with this? Let's help one another look more like Christ tomorrow than we do today. Let's help one another be ready for glory and ready for eternity because we need that work in each other's lives. We are still a people that will remove the specks. We all mess up and we find deliverance and help from the Lord in and with each other. We are our brother's keeper, turns out. 
You've heard that term before? We're not, I'm not my brother's keeper. You know who said that, right? A murderer. The first murderer. We are actually our loving brother's keeper or our brother's loving keeper. The ultimate goal here is that two people with clear eyes having logs and specks removed can see clearly the difference between right and wrong together for the kingdom's sake. We are an unfinished people, a people in process. We are to be a haven for sinners, a church of humble sinners who know where and how and from whom our righteousness comes on our best day and on our worst day. A church full of folks who know we would not survive our private thoughts and actions on the big screen. And a church full of folks that are characterized by charity and mercy with one another who humbly submit ourselves to the work of log and speck removal. Let's pray. Lord, work this in us, please. Work this wonderful wonderful work in us Lord show us how to move in a way that is faithful and salty and bright and aromatic a way that's a reflection of the kind of Lord that we have Lord I pray that we would be a a a people that would have a real view to our own sin a consciousness and awareness of our own shortcomings and a burden to ask others to help us with those things. Lord, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit does this in and through us and among us all day long. Lord, we entrust this wonderful work to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can take your supper, and I'm going to actually read from Luke chapter 22 for our supper. And I want to kind of capture, if I can, who's at the table for this ancient supper, this first Lord's Supper. Get a little coaching on this thing. Be sure you take your little top, top level off first. If you take the bottom level off, you're going to end up spilling juice all over you before you get your top level open. So the, the little top thing is clear and has a little wafer in there, a little wafer thin mint. All right, Luke chapter 22 this is the institution of the Lord's Supper. That's the little note that I have in my Bible. It's kind of cool. I want you to notice who's at the table here. I want you to notice who's at the uh, supper here. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. Okay, you just hear that word like, oh, all right, we got the A-team here with him, right? Got the apostles. All right, we're having a serious meal. He's got his A-team, the best and the brightest, right? I mean, the best that Jerusalem and Israel had to offer right here. I mean, like road scholars, martial scholars, um, all the things, man. They're Olympic athletes. All of them are all sitting around this table, right? By this point, you know I'm being facetious, right? <laughs> I hope so. All right, let me see. Let me finish. You, you'll see it in a minute. Okay, trust me. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it till it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not, will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, the cup that is poured out, 
for you in the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes that is has at, as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Okay, that's a familiar reference to Judas. We know who he's talking about there. But look at the next verse. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Can we have a sense of humor at this meal right now and realize what a mess we are? And it's been true since the beginning. They're sitting with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who's about to go to the cross. They've sat under three years incarnate ministry. Nonstop, 24-7 ministry. They've had a front row seat to the best discipleship the world had to offer. That the kingdom had to offer, I should say. And here they are on the eve of his arrest. They've just eaten the Lord's Supper and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Wow. Seriously, we have got to be really honest with ourselves about who we really are. We've got to be a haven for sinners. A room full of people that are looking around going, can you believe we're here? Can you believe we've been invited to this table with this king? Man, that adds like a sense of shock and scandal to this supper. I can't wait to eat it. Let's take and eat in faith. (laughs) Man, arguing about who's the greatest. Are you kidding me? Come here, let me beat you about head and shoulders. Like, are you? I'd have done it if I was there. I'd have been arguing with them, and so would you have. (laughs) Man, let's take and drink in faith, enjoying him. Enjoying his righteousness, his faithfulness, his finished work. Let me pray. Lord, we are so thankful that ultimately we are wearing an alien righteousness. We are thankful that it is so complete. And Lord, we're too thankful that we're not stuck in our sin. The things that we've talked about today, these secret thoughts and these um, sin that we, this, this hidden sin or public sin that we deal with, that in Christ we are not stuck. That we have the ability in the work of the Holy Spirit, in and through us, and through walking with the people of God to grow to be more Christ-like. That's wonderful news, Lord. Lord, I pray that you today have conditioned us and equipped us to be a humble people that are a haven for sinners. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all can stand and we'll continue in song. All the poor and powerless. All the poor and powerless. And all the lost and lonely. All the thieves will come confess. And know that you are holy. And know that you are holy. 
praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Singing holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Singing holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes.
of my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Praise him, all you sinners. Praise him, all you sinners. Sing, oh, sing, you weary. Oh, praise him, all you children of God. We lift high. shown throughout our stories. We praise Him as the children of God. Sing it. Our great Redeemer, glorious Savior, Your name is higher than the rising sun. Light of the morning, you shine forever, your name is higher than the rising sun, oh, your name is higher than the rising sun. Praise his name forever, speak it loud and shine forever your name is higher than the rising sun oh your name is higher than the rising sun oh 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 oh, oh, oh. hallelujah name above all simply to speak your name Hallelujah, now and always, forever we lift your name in praise. Hallelujah, our God, you reign, simply to speak your name is praise. Whoa, our great Redeemer, glorious Savior, your name is higher than the rising sun. Light of the morning, you shine forever. Your name is higher than the rising sun. Oh, your name is higher than the rising sun. Oh, 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 oh. 
God, we're so thankful that um, that you've shown your mercy to us through Jesus. Um, God, we just pray that um, your Holy Spirit would just, um, God, just enlighten us. God, show us areas that we are weak. God, send us and show us brothers and sisters in this body that can walk alongside of us um, and be searched and search us. Um, God, we pray that you would just teach us, however painful it is, how to be faithful in that. Um, how to not shrink back from it, but walk into it as something that is holy and good and builds unity. Um, Lord, we pray that you would just give us a softness and a grace and a discernment as we walk with each other, Lord. God, we're so needy. God, we can't do it apart from you, Lord, and so we just ask that you would be with us and that you would help us to do that. We love you. We ask these things in your precious and your holy and your loving name. Amen. This one's probably working, yeah. yeah. Hey, Matt, you can have a seat. Thank you, man. Eric and Abby, yeah, you, thanks, Matt. You're a champ. Eric and Abby, come on up. This is, these are Eric, and this is a couple. They're together. Yeah, if you were here for last week, you'd know what a, what a terrible presentation that was. So Eric and Abby, I've known Eric for years. Eric was a member of Crosspoint years ago, and pre-Abby. And um, I enjoyed Eric then, so I especially enjoy Eric now because of Abby, because she's a sweetie. Yeah, she's been, I, I, he got an upgrade, yeah. So I encourage you all to get to know this couple. Um, uh, Bill Ruth met with them. Uh, he went, they went through the same process. We all met at starting points. Um, 
at our house, and, and Eric and I have known each other again for years, but we've uh, spent some time together, and then also we had the time at the starting points, and then Bill Ruth, one of our other elders, had a chance to sit down and talk with them and heard their testimonies and heard how they came to know the Lord and uh, when they were baptized and things like that. So, And they talked through the covenant and asked any questions that they might have at, uh, regarding the covenant. So if you're like, well, how does this process work? What does that look like if you're joining, joining us online today? It is a process. Uh, we want it to be very inefficient. On purpose, we want to take the time to get to know each other. We want to take the time to field difficult questions, easy questions, everything in between. So it's a relationship. It's not a, a, a file in some forgotten file cabinet. It's a meaningful connection to be a part of each other's lives. So we want to be faithful and inefficient about that. So I would ask you all to get to know Eric and Abby. They are really an enjoyable couple. They um, live in the neighborhood right behind us in, uh, what is the neighborhood called? Gabe Estates, yes. It's back behind... Um, I, not everybody knows where we live. Gabe Estates is a little neighborhood that uh, is um, a lot of our church family live back there. Yeah, I've seen folks around the room that live back there. So I encourage you to get to know this couple and welcome them to be part of our body. Y'all can have a seat. Thank y'all. You know, the um, man, a, a lot of conviction this morning in preaching the sermon. I, uh, there's a, um, a sadness for me in how I've uh, treated other people at times. And probably one of the most um, shameful things for me is times where my kids weren't doing what I felt like they should be doing, and I isolate them. Go to your room. Get out of my space. I don't even want to see your face. You know, this sort of treatment that is not what our Lord does to us. Amen? Man, our Lord has said, come here, come here. You're a sinner? Okay, come here, come here, come here, come here. Come here, let me help you. Let me help you with this. Let me wear that sin for you. Let me pay the price for that sin for you. And let me help you reckon with how we can work forward where that thing does not own you. Man, what, a, what an opportunity we have as a people to be that kind of people, to be those kind of parents, to be that kind of church, to be that kind of neighbor, that kind of friend, to be that way with one another. What a wonderful, wonderful teaching the Lord I think gave us this morning on judgment I hope that has blessed you I hope it gives you some space to walk in where do we go from here I hope you see some some real space to walk out there y'all stand if you would and I'll share our benediction and um, we'll go ahead and with our the bout or whatever it is is coming up this afternoon now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Y'all have a great week.